The Secrets of Technology is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Technology. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Technology, where we discuss the technology news that's important to you from a uniquely Catholic point of view. And joining me today on the panel are Joanne Mercier. Hi, Joanne. Hello, Dom. And Father Corey Stiga. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very well, thanks. So, folks, as you're receiving this, it's Lent in 2021. Uh, yes, Lent did end in 2020 <laughs> at Easter. It didn't feel like it, but it did. Longest Lent ever. ever. <laughs> I actually saw a great meme online of uh, that scene from, what was it, Captain America, where, or no, it was in the, uh, the Captain America Winter Soldier, where Captain America is lapping the guy who plays Falcon, mm-hmm. you know, running, they're running around the, like, the mall, and the Falcon says... Uh, uh, March 2021 and Captain America is labeled March 2020. <laughs> like yeah. It's coming around again. <laughs> so, well, the reason I bring that up, but one of the, in our first topic for today is we're approaching the second year of doing church online. So you could say that have, you know, live streaming masses for many people. Most parishes in this, in the U S at least are still live streaming masses of some sort, even while having in in person, in many cases, limited attendance masses. Uh, it was, I think, the Archdiocese of Seattle was the first one to go uh, online only almost exactly a year ago from this, the the mid February, uh, and uh, and then we, the rest of us followed uh, eventually. And uh, so, uh, one of the things I wanted to do was talk about lessons learned. You know how we're doing. What what. what kind of things, uh, experiences people have had. Uh, and I do want to mention an article that I saw in Ars Technica, which basically uh, it describes what happened, what's been going on as uh, a problem that's cropped up, which is a disparity between the haves and have-nots in American churches. Uh, wealthier churches, whether it's you know Catholic parishes that have more money versus less money or just bigger Protestant churches versus small congregations and the ability to get the technology online and to be able to do this sort of thing, whether it's money or the age of the community or whatnot, there's been a big disparity. So I wanted to get into this. How's it going? And I know both of you have slightly different experiences with uh, this whole, this topic. So I wanted to go with you first uh, to, to ask how, how it's going for you. Father Corey, why don't you go first? How's it going for you in your parishes? Well, you know, and it's it's interesting because my diocese, Diocese of Great Falls Billings, was probably one of the last, if not the last, I don't think it was the last, but one of the last to shut down because in, you know, February, March, April, Montana really wasn't getting hit with this as badly as places like Seattle, like Boston, other, you know, larger cities. Most of the, you know, midsection of the United States was pretty well unscathed at that point still. There were cases but nothing to the level of what the big cities and what we saw later. We had our real first wave, you know, up to November, you know, so that's when our real first wave hit. Uh, so we shut down late, late and we, we were the first diocese to reopen after only six weeks. So oh, wow. we didn't have a long period where we didn't have public masses. Um, but I did do the live streaming at that point as, you know, as quickly as I could. 
And it worked as well as you could expect. I mean, it was, you know, something I literally threw my laptop next to me as I was celebrating mass in my private chapel. I mean, that's, that's basically what I did. It was about as simple as it could. I know there are a few parishes in this diocese that are still doing it, but by and large, we're kind of back to status quo. The bigger concern is numbers of people coming to mass because, of course, those who are more concerned about COVID aren't coming. They're not required to. Our obligation, like everywhere else in the country, or pretty much everywhere else in the country, is still suspended. Uh, we do not have the obligation for to attend mass on Sundays. And so those who don't feel comfortable with it aren't coming. But by and large, you know, at least my little parishes, our numbers aren't that dramatically down compared to previous years. So, Do you see a utility for this post the lockdown, post COVID, you know, however it remains with us in the future? Do you see a utility for this in your type of, because you have very rural parishes and you have people spread out all over. Do you see a utility for live streaming in your situation? I do actually, and maybe not so much from my parish in particular, you know, maybe not from here in Cascade, Montana, Sacred Heart Church, but like the diocese is now opening has just finally, well, they're a little slow, but they, uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry, Bishop, if you hear that, but yeah, it should have been done a while ago, uh, a YouTube channel for the purpose of doing stuff like live streaming uh, services and things like that. And that I can see more of a benefit on a diocesan level, especially in this diocese. By land-wise, we are the fourth largest diocese in the country. We're 94,000 square miles, you know, so uh, we could use things like these technologies for outreach within our diocese for uh, Bishop's going to do Lenten conferences where he's going to, you know, I, I don't know if they're going to be half an hour long or whatever, but where he's going to be giving these conferences in person, and then they're going to be recorded and posted on YouTube, things like that. So, ordination I mean, mass, that sort of ordination stuff, Ordination right. masses, chrism masses coming up here, and that's going to be a reduced uh, occupancy. So that's something that they could put up there, stuff like that. So I, I do definitely see the benefit of it, and I can see larger parishes doing it, both for their community and, again, for you know the, di the region as a whole. So I do see the benefit of it. It's just, I, I, every does every parish need to have live streaming? I don't think so. Again, not in this situation where we're not that restricted here compared, again, to other places. Okay. Joanne, how about you? How's it going for you going into our second year? Well, <laughs> it's been interesting. I mean, um, we didn't jump on the bandwagon right away at the collaborative in which I work in. In fact, we waited until the beginning of May before we began live streaming, but that was only because yours truly here was saying, we really need to do something. We really need to do something because I was watching what was going on in the parishes around us and they were all coming online and they were all doing their Sundays. And I'm sitting there going, what are our, where are our people going? Because we're in a highly, you know, we're, we're inner city. We're highly, you know, density of Catholic churches. There's like two on every corner. so. It's very easy for people to start getting used to attending Mass, even virtually, somewhere else. And our collections, and I started thinking like a pastor, OG, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, our collections are going down. So we need to bring this community together. So I finally talked my co-pastors into it, and I started with an iPad, my small iPad Pro, and a uh, Behringer four-channel mixer to get there to get their microphones in 
at least, and the music. Um, and then I finally talked them into, can we get some cameras? Because we already had a security camera set up in the church. So I figured it'd be easy to feed off that, you know, start with that because there was already lines in the wall. So we did. And of course, the angst was, who's going to pay for this? And I said, well, why don't you just put it out for donations? And we got the money and more. <laughs> so we've we've been able to fix things with it once we put it in, because when we first put it in, it was because it's an IP streaming cameras. So but. Immediately, people came back. Eyeballs were on Facebook, and, and Facebook is not my preferred. I would much rather do YouTube, but I find that the older folks, the ones who really want to go to Mass, I hate to say it that way, are all on Facebook because of their grandchildren and their families, where the younger families are on YouTube because that's what they, that's what the, the media they're used to. So I will stream it on Facebook and then take it, take it, render it, and put it on YouTube later. And I find that I get as many eyeballs on each one. But we missed Triduum and Holy Week last year. So now this is our first year that we're going to attempt to do this. So it's going to be very interesting. But what it did for us was bring our community together. Again, and that's what we need to. Now, we had for a long time only had 100 people in the pew in a 500-seater church. Now we can go up to 40%. So it's going to be interesting with the sacraments coming up again this year that now they want to have less celebrations because we had five First Communions last year and two Confirmation. This year we're going to do two First Communions and one Confirmation. I'm like, okay, we have to rearrange the seating. Oh, no, we can't. I said, yeah, we can, <laughs> because we're up to 40% now. You know, so we can rearrange. What happens if we go back to, we take it one step at a time. <laughs> but it really did bring us, us as a collaborative together, because we're three parishes. Now, where we go from here, I don't know. I've, I've said privately, and now I'm going to say it publicly, that when we are, we're allowed to really come back to church, I think we should take a month off. And that doesn't mean I don't want to stream again, but I think we need to take a month off and have an initiative that says, now it's time to come back to church. You know, to be here present and we'll continue one live stream a, a week, but it'll be for those who are really homebound because we've forgotten those people. And those people are so thankful to us right now, at least in my situation, that we're doing that. So I don't want to leave them, you know, in the dust when this is over. I think you know, before all of this happened, uh, the homebound were, oh, like in our diocese in, in Boston, in, in Massachusetts in general, Catholic TV has a daily mass. And we were like, oh, they can watch that. You know, we kind of just like, yeah. Of course, there's EWTN. Everybody's, you know, every cable system now has EWTN or most do or you can get it online. So people watch it there, too. So. But what my secretary has heard from when because she talks mostly to the homebound is we are so grateful that we can see Monsignor and Father now and see our one of our churches you know and it's our people up there they are so happy to see that that it's it makes made a difference all the mm -hmm. angst that i've just gone through with this whole thing worth it 
Well, and that's that's what I heard too. Is a lot of people said, you know, it's it's one thing. Yes, we can watch it on. You know, Catholic TV is available on the internet. EWTN is on cable systems and on the internet and things like that. We can watch from the you know the the Shrine of the Immaculate Conception in DC. But it's something different when it's coming from our parish. It's coming from our church. You know, I did the, I purposely did the Triduum over in the main church, even though we were still shut down, so that people could see our church. You know, our parish. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So one of the things I did was I, I threw this up on Facebook and I'll put a link to that, my Facebook post in uh, show notes. I threw up on Facebook the a question about how's it going? What lessons have you learned? How's it, how, did, how did it happen in your parish? And I got some really good feedback from folks that I'd like to share. Uh, one, first one was uh, uh, my friend Paul uh, Paul B. He, he said, uh, some priests have a style of celebrating mass on live stream, a style akin to an Islamic state hostage <laughs> video, which I just thought was funny. Yeah, <laughs> but, but yes, it's very stilted. Yes, there's we're there. We're all learning this. It's all new to us. We're all trying to, to figure this out. Yep. Then another friend wrote uh, that in his one, uh, parish, they're doing live stream. So that's really well. So that like from the church. But one of the things they started doing was broadcasting the mass on radio. So over the like terrestrial radio. So people can listen in their cars. Although you could do that streaming on Facebook or whatever you could what they people could have if they had their phones in their cars they could stream it there but they're broadcasting it from like the side door of the church so that then at the priest can then bring communion to the people in the cars which is interesting yeah i know of a parish in our area that is outside of the church still in 20 degree weather doing wow. an outside mass two times a weekend with gloves. I don't know if that's liturgical or not. Yet, you know, and they do it by the cars, but the people do get out of their cars to go to communion. Interesting. So they do come up, at least to give them a stretch and get up and go get communion and go back to their their nice warm cars. They're happy with that. They, it's worked for them. Good. Another friend uh, said that uh, the, his parish has been live streaming since 2016. Uh, and they use the Boxcast service, which is a paid service. They and they are they have they give you equipment. They have uh, you know the the, the uh, streaming box and everything. And it's it, so if you if your parish has the funds, has the ability, and a lot of them, like you said, can ask people now. You can get a really nice professional setup and have the nice cameras, the nice the nice box, and it's got all of the software and everything for streaming. Um, and so at his parish, they're streaming. Uh, one Sunday mass a week. Oh, no, they increased it from one a week to two per day and three on the weekend. Uh, they're also streaming weddings, funerals, missions, vespers, uh, that sort of thing, which I think is great. I think, in fact, I would love to see, again, after all this uh, finishes, the parish, the people still streaming weddings and funerals and stuff for people who, friends and family who live far away to be able to participate in those masses. I totally agree with that. And, and like I said, I do think there's there's going to be a place for stuff like that. And especially, again, you know, things like Vespers, you know, evening prayer. We've lost the mindset of our parishes do evening prayer publicly on Sunday. That's completely gone. That doesn't happen anywhere. Right, right. Yeah, in, in, I remember in Advent and Lent, my parish was doing it. But right, within this time, they, they, although my parish is starting, they're going to figure out, they're going to start doing stations in a way. So I don't know if they're going to live stream it, but it would be nice. 
Um, so another uh, uh, commenter said that uh, their diocese, and she, she happens to be in the Knoxville diocese, is providing resources to make sure each parish can live stream. And I, that's one of the things I, I think is important is I was curious, and I haven't gotten a, a lot of feedback on this, how much support parishes are getting from their diocese, technical support, never mind resources. And <laughs> both both of you seem to say let, you let, haven't gotten much. Let, let's... I will, I will say basically, especially even in my diocese, or especially in my diocese, but they don't have a clue. I mean, I made a little jab about it, but they're a year behind in setting up a YouTube channel for the diocese. Right. They should have done this a year ago, and just now this week, they set up a YouTube channel for the diocese. That shows how much support they've got. I'm probably, I hate to say it, I'm probably one of the most tech-savvy people in the diocese, at least in an official capacity. And in my diocese, we we have had a YouTube channel, I think, since this whole thing began, because there are some tech-savvy folks in the chancery, so they actually have been. But as far as a central office, anything like that, no. Because I don't want to be a critic, but I will be just a little bit, that people sometimes don't know where to point the camera during a live stream. That's an important thing, yeah. That's important, especially when you're dealing with liturgical movement. I had had to get my priest to tell me ahead of time if they were using incense, because once they didn't. And I had to tell them, look, I need to know where to point the camera. You walk off, and I have no idea where you've just gone, because I'm watching you through a lens. And And you're remote. You're not in the church. No, sometimes I am. Sometimes I'm there. Sometimes, see, I, I, I set it up so I could do it remotely. But you still got to tell me, because if you walk off frame, I have no idea what you've just done. But if I know you're going to get the incense, I can do a wider shot so people can see that, because I'm their eyes and ears right now. So if I know where you are, then I know where to go. That's an important thing. Like, I, I kind of jokingly said this a while ago, like, uh, I, I don't know whether it was on this show or on, uh, on online, but there is a new role of the of, of a new ministerial role of the liturgical cameraman Mm. it sounds silly but it's true and it's a vital role and there needs to be training there needs to be guidelines for how to do this you know where like in my own parish i mean the guy who's doing is doing is great and he's been thrown into this he does this he does event streaming professionally and he's been doing this for the parish which is awesome but you know like during the prayers of the offertory where the priest is doing the inaudible prayers uh you know on the altar and music is being played by the uh, organist, he's got the camera on the organist. Like, no, like, I, it doesn't matter if the, the the action is on the altar. <laughs> don't turn to the organist. I don't, we don't want, this isn't a TV show. You know, I, you, you need to, you need to be focused on what's important and knowing what's, what is the right thing to do at the right time. That's the sort of thing where guidelines need to be given. Mm. Well, and, I, I do both because I have picture in picture. Right. So I'm able to do both so that I can then move to something else so I can set the camera for the next shot. Sometimes it's all about I have to be somewhere else because I have to set up the next shot. Yeah, that's where having a wide angle and a close up and that sort of thing is good. Um, One of the things that I I wanted to kind of maybe get into at this point is talk about the, the different the equipment. A lot of places people started with cam- uh, phones. <laughs> That's all they had. Phones or laptops, and a phone yeah. mm-hmm. Or a laptop or an iPad. In my parish, we have camcorders on tripods. And he's got two. He had three. Now he has two. But in the middle, right, center uh, aisle, because there's an offertory box now in the middle for people to, to give their offertory, he's got mounted on it with a clamp, a phone. 
So he's got a phone in the middle for the wide shot and then two uh, tripod mounted camcorders on left and right. But he has to run back and forth, readjusting them all the time, which is which is tricky. Uh, you you could use a DSLR if you have that, uh, and uh, along with something called an Elgato Cam Link, which is uh, it connects lots of different phone uh, cameras. Sorry, cameras like DSLRs to a laptop or that sort of system. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. That's I've heard really good. Um, or more expensive is a PTZ, which uh, is short for Point Telephoto Zoom. And I think on if in a long term, if you do this live streaming on a long term basis, that's probably where you want to go because you mount those semi permanently, like on a pillar, on a wall, in the choir loft, or whatever you have, and then you can zoom in, pan, which is left and right, tilt up and down, uh, and you get a lot more flexibility. And then you don't have to run around adjusting cameras in the shot. You can just do it all from one spot. Yeah, that's what I have. I have the PTZ optics. And the only thing about them, and I love them, they're 20 times zoom, they're great. But the housing that we put them on, and we put them on regular housing, if the church is windy, okay, if the wind is coming from that direction, it's a shaky cam. Oh, interesting. So now we have to consider getting something that's a little bit more sturdier, but I don't know if that's going to affect the moving around of the camera. I don't know, but we've gotten shaky cam quite a bit. Or a stabilizer. So like with the yes, microphone, it's, it's stabilizer. It's got a, uh, if the tripod bounces or the, uh, in my case, the the microphone boom arm bounces, the microphone is kind of suspended and hopefully that, but yeah, that is, that's something to be concerned. And that's the sort of thing where a diocesan office dedicated to this sort of thing, or even if the diocese con- contracted with a company a consulting company could help parishes with this sort of thing otherwise you're kind of left to figure it out on your own uh, i mean my diocese i've heard from the folks that work there saying you know hey if you know anyone who's willing to to be paid to help parishes let me know because we're will you know we're willing to pay people to help parishes because parishes are looking for help so that's uh that's the sort of thing you know if if this is something you do <laughs> you might contact your your diocese and let them know you're you're willing to help well, and one thing I want to kind of address going back to the original article, you know, he set up what I think is kind of a false dichotomy, and that's the dichotomy of the rich versus the poor. And I, I say that's false because, like you, like you said, Joanne, you can ask for the money and the money shows up. That's the, that's the secret of the Catholic Church is it's not the money we actually have in our hands. It's the, it's the money that everybody else has that they're willing to give, but you have to ask for it. You know, and I, I, would, I would argue my experience is it's more the par- it's more the size of the parish it's more the tech savviness of the parish you know i could imagine parishes in some place like silicon valley they have no problem getting people to set this stuff up because they've got geeks all over the place and that go to the church there you know regardless of, of you know what age has a lot to do with it you know i you know most of the parishes especially the small parishes in my diocese most people are older they don't really know these technologies again i'm I, there's I'm probably the most tech savvy. But then again, we do have younger families and maybe some of these younger families have some ideas that they're able to help out with that. And I would argue that's more the concern is the tech experience of your parish, what the people's ha- what people have, the comfort with tech that they have. And I and I like I said, you know, smaller parishes generally don't have that. And so I would, you know, that's where I would love to get like one of these PTZ setups for my church here in Cascade. I got the perfect spot to mount it. 
but I would have to have someone running it because it's really hard to do that when you're standing at the altar celebrating mass. Exactly. Right. That is a huge problem. I will tell you, though, in the case of us with our donations, we only received four donations for these cameras. And I believe it was timing because we had been without any kind of connection with these folks for a few months. And then I got up there with my iPad and I think people were like, well, the iPad's nice, but it's not cutting it. So we created the need and these four donors stepped up. And they were not young. They were not from young families. These were from some of our more older established parishioners, but they came forward. I mean, obviously not an exact number, but Joanne, what would, what would you say it cost your parish roughly to set up? Roughly, it cost us $10,000. Roughly. Well, okay. And that was good because, again, if there was a diocesan office, you had to go look for people at the time. So we were word of mouthing it from parish to parish and diocese to diocese saying, who did you use? What did they cost? And I priced some out where some were telling me for one camera, they were going to charge me $7,000 for setup. And I got easy cameras. Yeah. Right. And I got two cameras and a, and I, but not a controller. I'm using OBS software, the open broadcasting system on a windows machine. So there you save a little bit of money, but, and it's, I think it's more flexible than trying to use a controller that in three years is gonna, you're going to need a new one because the technology gets better. A PTZ camera. So a, a dedicated camera that, that's built for this is going to be a few thousand dollars each at, at minimum two two three thousand um, dollars And then you need the controller soft, the controller system, the computer and the software, whatever. And so it is going to, so that's that's one of the reasons why you don't see more of these is because they're expensive. Yeah, the ten the ten was for everything though. Yeah. Okay. The cameras yes. themselves were two a piece, two thousand okay. piece. Which that's not bad actually. I no, mean, no, because you know th- this is something we've discussed like here at SQPN where we don't do a lot of video because video gets expensive. It's time consuming. It's a lot more work than the audio that we're able to do. And you can take that with a parish if you want a parish stream. Yes. You could take like one of these our Logitech, you know, uh, 920 uh, webcams, 930 webcams, put them on a tripod and you could stream acceptable. It would be you could see you could hear, but it would be pretty potato quality compared to what you can do with, say, that ten thousand dollar setup. Right. That's uh, the, one of the things is with video is because it's not just the camera, too. You also need the lighting. And like our, my parish has added extra lighting for the altar. Altars are generally well lit, but you need even more lighting for, for video work. And then the sound and getting the sound in uh, acceptably so that it doesn't, it's not echoing. It's, it's actually coming in lit and sounds good. All these things make it difficult to do. Yeah, we have a modern room, so it's very well lit. So we didn't have to worry about that. It's been audio has been our biggest problem and it's been latency issues with the, with the Internet. So we finally hardwired everything in and I'm still getting latency issues and I'm still trying to figure out what's the problem. Is it the Internet buckling or, you know, spitting up or something? And that's the other thing is getting good Internet into the church. A lot of churches are not. Well, a lot of churches are big stone boxes that that filter out radio waves. So you can't just rely on. So you got to run a uh, cable, you know, Internet cable into the church and, and have the church wired, which I think would be great. I think churches should be 
In fact, I think churches should have uh, Wi-Fi available for the parishioners because uh, all of our churches don't have uh, missalettes anymore. They've been all removed. And so if you want to follow along in the readings or the prayers, you need to have it on your phone and having, you know, uh, the, the a Wi-Fi signal there. Because, again, Big Stone Box blocks out the cell phone signals because it can sometimes get me hard <laughs> to get a signal in some of these. Uh, it would be nice to be able to to have that service available for folks. Yeah, there's, there are there are a lot of churches that they just don't have any kind of internet at all. You know, the office might, the parish hall might, but the actual sanctuary itself, the actual church itself, no. Nope. In the case of the parish where I live in and and not work in, they port it over. They try to port it over by putting a repeater in the window of the rectory so that it goes <laughs> over into the church. Um, we keep telling the pastor, you need to put it in the church because he keeps dropping his, his live stream. It keeps dropping on him on, on Facebook, but he still is like, well, you know, when this is over, we're not sure we're going to do this. And I think that's the key. Those who were sure, like where I work said, we're going to go in for the long haul. Those who are still seeing it as a temporary solution are not so quick to do it. Because the money is there. My, pl- my parish at home is poor. And we're willing, people are willing to give him money to do this. But he's still in the temporary mindset. Yeah, there is a long haul that, that that's the difference is the, the long haul versus the short term. And there are a lot of cases to be made for why do, this is sort of having some sort of streaming ability is a, is a future thing that we'll want to keep doing, whether or not we whether or not we have to be, you know, uh, quarantined or what, what have you. Um, there's there's case to be made of doing this sort of thing long term. Um, so but one of the questions that came up is, is, well, if we keep, keep streaming masses forever, will people just never, you know, will some people never go back and just uh, assume watching the stream is as equivalent to attending? That's the problem. I think that's going to be the long-term problem. I, I Now, if I can put my real hat on, which is faith formation director, and not social <laughs> media director, media director, um, I had a parent meeting last night in which I was telling families, when it's safe to come back, you, we, you really need to bring your children to the physical church because they need to know how to respond here, not just at home with a cup of coffee or the cereals and the you know in the bathrobe we have to come back to that again that's why i'm still an advocate for closing down a live stream for a month or so to get and to have welcoming masses where we want you back we're happy you're back Mm -hmm. yes i agree that's a great idea and i i don't know if if you know i mean i'm not not to criticize your the decision to do the the month off i don't i don't know if that's necessary but i think it's a good idea i mean i think it's a good way to say you know you need to come back I do believe this very much a method of an opportunity for catechesis because we were already struggling with Catholics not coming to mass as it was. We were already struggling with low attendance percentages, low attendance numbers, low collections, even before COVID hit. And so this is a good opportunity to now reach out to those who are doing live streaming. And I really do think it needs to be an outreach. It can't just, you know, it has, you know, you know, taking the time off from live stream is good, but I think there needs to be an outreach, direct outreach to these parishioners. You know, if we have their contact information, email, you know, texting, whatever, messaging, whatever, contact them. Hey, by the way, 
the restrictions have been lifted or we're up to, you know, 80% now, 75% now, we can have a lot more people coming in. Come join us. You know, and oh, by the way, the bishop has said in a month or two, the obligation is going to be restored. And so once again, it will be under, you know, you, we have that obligation as well to be coming to Mass for the worship of God. And live stream doesn't cut it. Live stream TV Masses does not cut it for the obligation. I totally agree yeah. with I that. I figured you would. But. <laughs> yeah, because we need to create, and I don't want to get too theological, but we need to create that hunger again for both community and Eucharist. That's the point. So during Lent, I'm doing a five-part series on Facebook for the liturgies of Holy Week and Triduum so folks can you know, get a little explanation on those liturgies. But I'm also looking to trying to interact with my system. OBS has a program called Ninja or an add-on called Ninja. And uh, what I want to do is point a camera at me before masses begin on the weekend to give them some explanation, what's going on, and then point the camera. Because right now all we're doing is pointing the camera in church, but we're really not interacting with the folks. And I think there Ninja needs to be... Is- is a substitute for like Skype or meet in or zoom. It, it works similarly by having people in different places, being able to be on the stream at once. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the things I would suggest you know, when, when parishes do go back to in person is have, is, as I would send out a postcard to every registered family that has, you know, all of the mass times, all of the things the parish is doing, the stuff you can do. I, when I worked in a parish a few years ago, we just at the beginning of Lent, we sent out a postcard to every registered uh, family with all of the stuff that's happening during Lent, including uh, we we did like Wednesday uh, we called the light is on for you campaign for confessions. And we heard from a lot of people who I had hadn't been back to church in 20 years. And when I got the postcard, it made me want to go again. And I think that sort of direct outreach can really reconnect people. So, I mean, it's not really, it's old school technology. It's it's analog, but it's still, you know, worthwhile. The nice, nicely designed, graphically designed postcard sent to everyone. I think you're right. We do need to call people back. We need to bring people together again and, and encourage them to remember that in person is, if we can, is definitely better than uh, streaming. And, and by, by the way, this is something, too, where we can use our parishioners. Those who are coming to mass now, we can use, you know. As priests, as, you know, faith formation directors and say, go and fight your neighbors. You know, people that aren't coming to mass because they're concerned about COVID or whatever reason. This is a good time to say, hey, the church is opening up again. It's safe to come to church. Come join us. Right. That's and but of course, that's still a ways off. And so we're, we're, we're kind of anticipating looking forward and who knows when that time will be. Uh, for many of us. But uh, I do love the fact that with the live streaming, I have heard that there are a lot of people who haven't been to church in many years who have been tuning into live stream masses because they can. And I do. And I love that aspect as well. All right. Uh, we could probably talk much more about this, but uh, I do want to move on. Uh, I do want to encourage listeners to go a check out that Facebook, the, the link in the show notes to the Facebook uh, conversation about this. Add your comments there. Send us your comments you know, in the, to technology at sqpn.com. Let us know, you know, what lessons you've learned. If you're involved in live streaming masses at your parish or what you've anticipated, and if you're with a diocese, what you're doing for your parishes, that sort of thing, we want to hear from you. All right, I want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the Secrets of Technology, including Cynthia A., Melanie Q., Gary J., Christopher P., and Thomas V. 
Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of technology in all the shows at StarQuest. Now is a great time to become a StarQuest patron, thanks to a generous gift from a StarQuest supporter. When you start a new Patreon monthly pledge at sqpn.com slash give, the first three months will be matched by an equal amount from our donor, which makes your gift go even further. So if you've been thinking of becoming a StarQuest patron, now's the time. Visit sqpn.com slash give today. So let's talk about some headlines. Our first one is concerning Amazon. Amazon, uh-huh. the company <laughs> that we all rely on that we're all a little, uh, you know, wary of. Wary of, of yes. Uh, yes. This one involves their uh, their how they treat their employees, which they kind of become notorious about the the way their employees are treated. And this one has to do with the delivery drivers. They've apparently instituted a, a, a monitoring system in their trucks, of course, big brother. And uh, it's an AI camera or AI system that monitors driver behavior and wants to flag safety issues, which seems good, except apparently it's an overzealous system. So for example, uh, drivers who talk about the, um, the app mostly just invades their privacy or miscalculates dangerous driving behavior. One driver said that even though he didn't answer his phone was ringing, he got docked for using a phone while driving. Uh, Another worker was flagged for distracted driving at every delivery stop she made. Uh, Some guys have resorted to wrapping their phone in a, in a towel and shoving in the, in the glove box so that, because the app is on the phone that's monitoring them, shoving in the glove box uh, so that so that it doesn't you know uh, trigger you know Amazon uh, kind of promotes it among the drivers as oh a friendly competition so you get the most points but they can lose you know uh, their job if they're too distracted if it gets too bad so what do y'all think of this little thing and and perhaps the wider implications for other jobs oh boy I'd be figuring out how to disable it very quickly. <laughs> Yeah, and you yeah. know I like technology that's used for good and not evil. Yes, <laughs> and I wonder if they're just trying to monitor their employees and 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 not because you know I see them when they come deliver the copious things I get to my door, and some of them are basically throwing, clicking a picture and running, which is telling me they're behind, and that means they're trying to catch up, and that's not good either. You can't have unrealistic expectations of your employees and use the app to say, well, you need to do this. It makes them un- less safe. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I have real concern about being tracked in this, that these drivers are being tracked to this level of detail. Um, you know, it, it's, you know, similar to like the little uh, plug in things for your cars, for the insurance companies where it tracked, you know, safe driving and all that. That just seems like a bad idea in general, because that then it gives them a lot like this article mentions, it gives them a lot of latitude to say what is safe driving and what isn't. And that can have real consequences financially. It can have real consequences, you know, in many ways. And at one point, the article says is, you know, I would rather them learning how to drive safe than learning how to game the app. And that's that's human reaction. Human reaction is going to be fine if I'm going to lose bonuses, if I'm going to my job's at risk because of what this stupid app says, I'm going to do everything to make that app happy which means they're spending more time watching the app than they are the road (laughs) right well that's the the end the law of unintended consequences you you know you you're trying to get safe driving but what you're doing is people trying to game an app and trying to to placate an app and finding ways around it and that's that's not better so i mean i want them i want safer driving certainly but this may not be the way to do it 
All right. So let's move to our, our next headline. Uh, this one is interesting. So for a long time, Waze, the Waze uh, traffic, uh, directions, driving app, and the Google Maps apps have let you report accidents or road hazards or that sort of thing. Uh, it looks like Apple Maps is going to start getting that too, which would be good because I've I've actually preferred Waze over Apple Maps on my iPhone for a long time. Mm-hmm. So, well, here, here's the thing too, is Waze was bought out a couple of years ago by Google. That's how Google Maps got it. Oh, and I've, I've had this happen when I was on re- retreat a couple of weeks ago or went for retreat as I was traveling there, I was driving. And there were a couple of times where, you know, I had Google up with directions and there's a speed trap ahead. Speed, <laughs> it's like, oh, thank you very much. And sure enough, there was... One of the, you know, Pennsylvania's friendliest folks sitting there in the, the media and watching. It's uh, it's nice to have these things, but I'm a little worried about people, you know, while they're driving, trying to manipulate these controls to report stuff. That's the difficult part, because I find with ways when I do use it now, I'm trying to find, OK, where's the thing I have to click in order to say that there's an accident here or report that traffic is slowing down. I was in a hit and run last month and I had a rental car for two and a half weeks and it had app, it had CarPlay. And oh, I was wow. so happy. Nice. Because I got to see how CarPlay works. And if Apple Maps is now going to start to do that, that's going to take care of trying to find the Waze app. Right. You know, and activating it. And because and, it's right there. And in, in CarPlay, you can have maps and two other things going on, two other apps going on at the same time. So to have three things like that, but the only thing is, is Waze screams at you. You know, as if, you know, at least with Apple Maps, hopefully it would be your Siri voice that would be saying, you know, this is what's happening. But it's that lovely lady on Waze you know, caution ahead. And you know, I'm jumping out of my seat because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> then I got to try to control that. So yeah, if Apple maps can do the same, do the same thing, I'd be all over it. Yeah. See, the uh, nice thing is I think on Google, if I remember right, you'd long press the screen and it gives you the option to do, you know, the reporting. Um, you know, of course, also we, we talk, of course, about speed traps, you know, cops running radar. But also, you know, things like accidents, you can report if there was a slowdown because of an accident, if the roads are bad, you know, if you're, you're driving along and all of a sudden you hit patch of ice, you can report that. Things like that. You know, so it's not just it's not just speed trap. Of course, that's what most people use it for is like, oh, cop, don't want to get busted. No, <laughs> no, I used it for pre, pre-pandemic. It was always between two o'clock and four o'clock in, in Rhode Island going through Providence. You had to know how far the backup was. You know, pandemic time, not so much. But (laughs) before that, yeah, you needed to know. Yeah, I used to like reporting, uh, you know, road like construction or that sort of thing, or sometimes closed roads. So that would help other people, you know, when it rerouted people around it, that would be good. But in Massachusetts, you're not allowed to even touch your phone anymore. So that's uh, that's right. It makes makes it even more difficult. So, you know. Um, I, I, I will deny anyone who accuses me of touching my phone while driving. Well, I wonder, though, <laughs> if, if, you know, again, Siri or I think Google can do it as well. You know, you can do Google report a report an accident, report a speed trap. That would be nice because the ways you can't do the voice, but it would be nice if Siri would allow you to do that. That would be I would be pleased with that. I think they would do that. That's part of their M.O. So uh, our next headline has to do with some interesting court case and something I hadn't thought about. But uh, in New Jersey, 
a accused murderer won the right to check the source code of DNA testing software used by the police. Now, we've all watched CSI or something like that. We've seen a TV show or a movie where, you know, the the forensic scientists, the CSIs, use DNA testing to find a match for the criminal and their DNA and all that sort of stuff. And we, I never really thought about it, but all that stuff runs on software. And that, and as we all know, <laughs> technology, software can have bugs. And how many people get convicted based on a bug in some software? That's a possibility. So this defendant, he wanted to, his lawyers wanted to have an expert examine the source code of the software used by the the police department that arrested him. And the software maker said no, uh, because they let's see they said a their software is uh, a trade secret mm-hmm. which i would imagine would be uh and it's so there's so much of it that it would take forever to review it so they what they wanted was they said okay you you would have to be tightly controlled conditions which means someone standing over your shoulder uh with a non-disclosure agreement and a mil- 1 million dollar liability fine if the if any of the code got out uh, well, th- that was obviously the defense team objected to that uh, and eventually got uh, up to an appeals court where the, the appeals court said, nope, you have, you have to let him look at this software. I think that's a very fascinating uh, aspect of this and could have wider implications for the justice system where so much technology now is involved in convictions and trials and that sort of thing. What do you think? Well, it could be interesting, too, not just in something as, as serious as this, where it's you know genetic DNA testing, but I'm also thinking of stuff like the algorithms, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube being sued because someone gets deplatformed. And oh, by the way, you have to release your algorithm so we can see why you deplatformed us. What co- what we triggered to cause this, you know, especially if we think it's a case where it's an unjust deplatforming, not the not the big cases, the Alex Jones and people like that, but like, you know, legitimate people who are doing legitimate things. And Facebook knocks them off. Twitter knocks them off because they happen to talk about a certain virus or a certain uprising or whatever. I hear the sound of a Pandora's box being opened. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yeah, because I think that's what it's going to do. I mean, as one who has in the past allowed her DNA, you know, out there. So, you know, for Parabon and all those other places. Yeah, but I even allowed them when they said they're going to use it for, you know, stuff like tracking criminals. I allowed it for a while. And then I started seeing some problems with that. So I pulled it out. Not that I don't want, you know, to help the justice folks do their do their job, but I'm not so sure how they're using all this stuff. So I want to be a little bit more careful. So, yeah, I can see they must have had a couple of geeky lawyers who said, gee, maybe we can get around this by doing this, but it will open a Pandora's box for even the legitimate ones that, you know, somebody like CeCe Moore and Parabon have been going after these serial killers for years. I'd hate to see all of that upended because of something like this. They did point out one uh, one instance of some experts who said that there was one piece of software that was had been used in forensic uh, analysis that 13 errors, coding errors, that affected 60 criminal cases. So that... Now, it doesn't mean that 60 people were wrongly, wrongfully convicted, but the errors were per- germane to those cases, put it that way. So that's, the, you know, this is concerning. It's concerning. And and so, in fact, it's almost, uh, 
it's more concerning if an innocent person gets convicted and goes to jail. But it is also concerning if a criminal is is let out of jail, uh, even though they're guilty, because something there was an error, a bug in the software. That's that is also concerning. Well, and we've always we've we've always held you know legally the principle of you have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt. Well, if you can cast doubt on the software that, you know, the very evidence you are sending to us that see these are match DNA matches. Well, we have doubt that that software actually did it properly. And no, they are not DNA matches. That's a big mm-hmm. problem. Yes. The reasonable doubt is entered. So those are our headlines this week. I think uh, let's move on to our picks of the week. Father Corey, you're up first. Give me something good. So I am going way back, back to the dark ages, <laughs> back to the old west of the Internet, the year 2000. Flash was a real thing, which rest in peace, Flash. Flash is, died. I know. We're, and everybody who ever did any kind of IT security rejoiced on December 31st, 2020, when Flash was finally laid to rest. But in the year 2000, it was the hot thing. And a website appeared, Homestar Runner. And anybody who was really on the internet at that point, who was into like 80s and 90s retro, loved it. I mean, I, you know, we watched strong, bad emails and all kinds of cartoons, silly, silly flash based cartoons that had all kinds of little Easter eggs you could click on. (laughs) Oh, Trogdor. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And it's just, I mean, and it's, 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 it's geeky. It's hilarious. Loved it. And, you know, eventually they, they went on hiatus because it was done by, they, they called themselves the brothers chaps, the Chapman brothers, Mike and Matt Chapman, who actually went on to do like real TV animation. Like they actually worked on various projects for like Nickelodeon and other channels. Well, with Flash dying, they have taken a bunch of their videos, a bunch of their, their cartoons and put them on YouTube. And so now you can watch a lot of them on YouTube, including the, the, the Easter eggs kind of in appropriate locations and everything. Um, they've also reset Homestar Runner itself, the website to use the, the Flash uh, emulator, however you want to put it, where there is a, 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 an aftermarket Flash program that lets the Flash run on the website again. It's not using actual Adobe Flash. But I bring up the, uh, the YouTube channel because they recently uh, released a new, a new video that it's disc four of 12. And what it is, it's old DOS games. So the old DOS games, old DOS software. And the, the one they had is Friendware. And I thought it, you know, I like many people thought, oh, this is just a uh, uh, Friendlyware. And it's like, oh, this is a fake thing. No, it's an actual real software package that came out in the early 80s for DOS PCs. And they go through it, and of course, it's strong bad, you know, so he's, he's using his boxing gloves to type. That's one of the running jokes. How can you type with boxing gloves on? And it's just, it's, it's that, their humor. It is very much, if you were a fan of HomestarRunner.com, it's their humor. So go check out their, their uh, YouTube channel. You can go watch that. It's, it's hilarious. It's so much fun. And it's just, again, it's that 80s, 90s retro humor, and it's, it's, it's awesome. So something, something if you're really depressed because the weather and everything, <laughs> go watch some Homestar Runner and that'll cheer you up. We talked about the loss of Homestar Runner when, uh, a few weeks ago when the yep. uh, st- uh, flash went down. So that's, it's great to have Homestar Runner back. They're still way. around. I kinda fig- yeah, I was kind of figuring they'd, they'd show up again somehow. Joanne, what's your pick? Well, my pick this week is 
you know, generated by what we've been discussing today. And if folks don't want to use their, give up their iPads to their churches to use, and they don't have a benefactor that can get them a nice $10,000 system, there is a little device out there called the Mevo Start. And it is an all-in-one live streaming camera. It runs, they, when it first came out, it was $399. Now you can get it as low as, I think, $350 um, from Amazon or from Mevo themselves. And what this does, it, it's a live streaming camera. It's also a webcam. So you can use it in both ways. You can use it on all of the different platforms. And it, it has a cousin in the lineup called the Mevo Plus. But the start is much better for those folks who are just getting into this because it's got a battery in it and it holds about six hours of charge. So you could do a couple of masses and then charge it up, you know, for during the week and then put it on again in the weekend. And it allows you through an, an app for either your phone or tablet to do the pan and the zoom. You, uh, I mean, yeah, to do the zoom and the some of the, the pan, pan. some of the pan yeah. can't tilt though. You have to put it on something in order to tilt and to move it around, but it's a decent priced solution for parishes that are looking for this type of thing. And it hooks on to the internet. So, and it'll also hook on to a, your phone. If you're using your phone as a hotspot, because I've suggested it for parishes that don't have internet, but they're using, you know, their phone as a hotspot. So it, it's very clear. It's very easy to use. Anybody who can sit there with a, a phone or a tablet can play around with it. And I'm surprised at, especially the older folks I've suggested to, even older than me, who have gotten the hang of it and they're actually using it for live streaming. So it's, it's somewhere in the middle, but it's something that, and you, and you can grow with it. You can put another start with it or put a, a, put a plus with it and have two cameras. So it's something to consider if you're looking at doing this thing on a longer term basis, but maybe not permanently. Well, and it looks like you can really upgrade it too. As far as like audio is concerned, you, it's got the input so you can do mixer. If you've got already got a mixer board set up, you can bring that in too. So that's nice. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I tell people about that, but then I see their eyes glaze over. Like they can, yeah. you know, when I say you can put your, your house system through this and they go, huh? And I'm like, it doesn't, never mind. It's got a the good big speakers in- up there. What you hear out of there can go in there. <laughs> it has a three, it has a three microphone array on it. So it does pick up quite well. And uh, you, you can do Ethernet in. It's got Wi-Fi built in. Yeah, it's really nice. And then the software allows you to to do, uh, does it do the multicam in the software from the, from the one camera? It will. Yes. If you plug another yeah. one in, it will. Uh, the, I know that the, uh, Mevo has, a prob- I think, a bigger one, which allows you to have one camera, but it, it almost works like two different cameras. You can have designated spots that are like separate uh, cameras, like virtual cameras. Uh, so Mevo is, is a nice system, but uh, this is a nice way to get started. Yeah, Very I believe nice. that's the plus. All right. So uh, my pick this week is uh, we've talked a lot about network attached storage. Joanne, you recently picked one. I'm picking one because I, I've recently upgraded my uh, Synology, uh, which was a DS216 plus two. So 16 means it was from 2016. So it was, it was about five years old. And it was a two bay, so it had I could have two discs in it. So it was uh, the redundancy was one disc to the other, so it was mirroring. Uh, I was I had two problems. I was running out of space on it. Uh, just I had 
I went. For, I had th- about three terabytes of space that possible, and I was starting around because I use this backup and all kinds of other stuff, and I use for my Plex. Uh, and so, and then it was also starting to get a little unreliable. It was rebooting on its own, which was not good. Uh, so I ended up uh, going upgrading to the DS four twenty plus. So twenty means it was came out in twenty twenty, and it's a nice system. It's four bays. I added two new hard drives to it. So I've gone from three terabytes to eight terabytes of space, which is really nice. Um, I do need to eventually I'll need to upgrade the oldest drive in it. So that one, my original uh, Synology was a one bay that I got. (laughs) And so uh, that that drive has has migrated. But drives, drives do get old and need to be replaced. And so that will need to be replaced at some point. What is the what is the lifespan on a drive? I say? say in general, like for like a, de- a drive on the desktop, like a, like a, it's like an enclosure. I say three years is a, is a drive for, I, I tried to get, uh, for my, uh, NAS is the network attached storage. I try to get enterprise quality and also go longer, um, where it's redundant. So it's, I'm using an RAID so that there's backup. I'm less concerned with a failure of a single drive in that case. So I'll try, but this drive is really old. It needs to go. Uh, one of the nice things with the Synology is it was seamless. I just grabbed the two drives out of the old Synology, put them in the new Synology. There's a, a, a quick like wizard to get things set up. And I was ready to go. It was, it was like as if nothing had changed. And then when I wanted to expand, I put the two new drives in and I said, Ex- expand the storage pool. And it took a couple of days, actually. It it really goes through a very meticulous process to expand the storage pool, but it didn't require anything from on my part. And then a couple of days later, I went from three terabytes to eight terabytes. So really nice. Uh, so that, I recommend it. It was it's not cheap. I, I, I fully acknowledge it. It's not cheap. <laughs> no, no. I'm in the law. I'm in it for the long haul now because the husband has discovered how wonderful Plex can be. Yes. 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 Yeah, that's something I, I've just got an old desktop that I've thrown a couple hard drives in. I need to get serious and get a get a rate rate. Maybe I'll use my tax return for that. There you go. There you go. I know I'm, I'm, my tax return is already being spent by <laughs> oh, that's how it is every year. My tax return gets spent before I even get it. So um, that the part of it is going toward paying off for this. So that's really good. All right. Those are our picks. And uh, so I hope you enjoy that. We'll put those links, of course, online. So that's it from us. What did you think of our discussion? If you have anything, you any comments you want to make on the the topic of live streaming masters or anything else we discussed, you can let us know by commenting at sqpn.com slash technology or the SQPN Facebook page, facebook.com slash StarQuest Media, or you can send an email to technology at sqpn.com. You can find links from our discussion and our picks of the week on our show notes on sqpn.com. Remember to like each episode of The Secrets of Tech on our Facebook page, retweet it on Twitter where we're at SQPN, and leave comments there as well. That's a great place for interacting with us and leaving us comments. And we'd love to include your feedback and your ideas in the show. So we, we want to hear from you. Until next time, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing The Secrets of Technology. And thank you, Dom. Joanne Mercier, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Technology on StarQuest. 